0: Good morning, church. Glad to be with you again today. Wasn't that great to sing those songs and and, and call out to God and also proclaim, you know, sing out some of the things that, that we believe and hopefully Uh, We're able to believe it with more than just our heads and our voices, but hopefully our hearts today. And uh, it's all sort of a a setup for us as we prepare the next thing we're going to study as a church. As a church, we are now going into a new sermon series that we're entitling Kingdom Come. And through this series, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 8. To ten. If you're new to our church, this is what we do. By and large, on Sundays we go through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And and over the last uh, you know nine months, we've come in and out of the book of Matthew. And so today we're going in to eight to ten, which is a section of the Bible where we see that Jesus kind of comes full force into the world. And that's really, really good news because the last section we started reading was Matthew chapter 5 to 7, which is where Jesus gives what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's this great speech he gives full of all sorts of incredible teachings. I consider it the greatest teaching ever taught, accumulated in one place. And it's awesome. It talks about what it means to be a person of God, what it means to experience the kingdom of God, what it means for ultimately our lives to flourish and for us to participate in the ways that God wants things so that the world flourishes ultimately. And it's this incredible speech, but the problem with speeches is unless there's something to back them up, they're useless. How many of you have been in perhaps a meeting or listen to a lecture or something where someone maybe is a charismatic speaker, but then at the end of the day, there's no follow through. You know, that, that's just absolutely the worst. I mean, we've all been there. We've had, you know, the boss come in and do the rallying and, you know, fu- trying to fire up the team. And then they walk away and live completely inconsistently with everything they just said. And it totally lets us down. We've gone in to experience someone you know politicians are great at this they they sort of tell people this is what's gonna happen and then four years later we're like where is it you know and this these type of cycles happen all the time but what's incredible about Jesus is he gives this incredible speech he talks about all that could happen if people would follow him and then what does he do he comes off the mountain and gets to work. He goes and actually starts to establish his kingdom. He starts to bring about the flourishing of people. And so my hope is that as we come to this section that we're going to be inspired not just by the teachings of Jesus but how he actually lives and works and what he can actually accomplish. And my hope is that as we study these next few chapters that we come to this place where we have a great expectation of what God can do and what we can do through him or what he can do through us is maybe a better way to put it. And so we're going to start walking through, and in this section, there is a whole bunch of stories about healing. And we're going to talk about what that means and how do we understand that. But it's all these sections about w- w- what can Jesus actually accomplish in demon-possessed people's lives, in people who have incredible chronic illnesses lives, what these people who are sick in spirit can receive for healing. And then Jesus is also going to punctuate that as he goes three sets, through three sets of three healings, we're going to see that he also gives this teaching that totally flips the world upside down. And Jesus says, my kingdom is so much better than any kingdom you have ever seen. And so if you will, turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 8. And today we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 17. And we're going to see the first of the three healings that Jesus performs as he comes off the mountain from teaching about what it looks like to experience the kingdom of God. So Matthew chapter 8 verses 1 to 17, we read this. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man in the crowd with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Then when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came up to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. So Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? To which the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And so I tell this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. And so I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. And Jesus goes on and says, When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, that he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, God. We thank you for... The truth that's in this passage of what you would have to say to us. And Lord God, I first pray that we would receive uh, the message about your kingdom that we are encountering here in your word. And Holy Spirit, would you guide our hearts and our minds to focus on the things that you would have to teach to us? And Holy Spirit, would you speak now uh, through me? Would it not be my words, but would it be yours so that we can encounter you a very real and living God so we would see the fullness of your kingdom? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have these eighteen verses which we could go through. And I, I could probably actually preach four or five sermons on this. I mean, just that that last line alone where it says that Jesus took up our infirmities and bore our diseases is this whole allusion back to a great prophecy from the book of Isaiah that talks about how the one who would come and establish God's kingdom would bring healing. And that he would take the healing and sickness of other people onto himself to free them. But we're not going to do it in four or four, five sermons as perhaps we traditionally would do. Because I think when we break this apart, we can actually miss a message that comes when we read all of these three stories as connected. Matthew, when he wrote this and sort of compiled everything that happened in Jesus' life, wanted us to get a sense of big things. The whole book of Matthew is about King Jesus and what he comes and what his kingdom is like. And so when we actually read all three of these healings together, we get a picture that each in story separately cannot provide. And it's this picture about what to expect, about who can be a part Of God's kingdom and that's our setup for this series is who can be a part of God's kingdom because that's an important thing to focus on so we don't neglect certain people as we try to live out God's kingdom so we don't overlook certain things that maybe rule out some people out of God's kingdom so we fully embrace the picture that Jesus was trying to establish for us and so if we look at these three stories there's actually something that connects Each of the three sets of people. What do a leper, a centurion, and his servant, and Peter's mother-in-law have in common? Sounds like the setup, a bad punchline to a joke, but it's really there's something that ties all these three together. What do a centurion who's a Roman soldier, a leper, and a woman have in common? They're all outcasts. They're all overlooked members of society. And we see that after Jesus talks about his kingdom and how it would come into the world, the first three people who he brings healing to the life of are those who are outlooked and outcast by religion and society. We start with the leper. The leper was an outcast of society simply because they had a disease. Lepers weren't allowed near anyone in town because of the potentially contagious nature of the skin disease they have. We know back in Jesus' day that they sort of lumped in all these different diseases under the term leprosy. And some generally had the illness that we would know today as leprosy. But many just had different uh, illnesses, of skin rashes, illnesses. and, And so what they did with those people is they said, stay away. Because that could be contagious. And so if you came down with a case of some type of skin disorder, you would be outcast from society. Because you could make someone unclean. You could make other people sick. But not just could you make them sick physically, but they thought that in many cases, illness was connected to our spiritual condition. And so by associating with other people, you could make them unfit to worship God. And so if you got leprosy, you were thrown out from society, from your family, and often left on the outskirts. Then we come to the centurion and his servant. They're outcasts for totally different reasons, but still seen on the peripheral of the society in the city of Capernaum. The problem with these individuals in the sights of those who would have seen them were first and foremost, they weren't Jews. You're living in a Jewish major city, and this is who God loves. God loves the Jewish people, which is true, but they said, so if you weren't one of God's people, you're second rate, you're second class, you're not really all that we want to be. Add to that the fact that it's not just that they're not Jews, but they're actually seen as Jewish oppressors. This guy's a centurion. He's a, a commander in the Roman army, which means that he is part of the big government that's coming to oppress the people of Israel. He comes and part of his job is actually to run the way, things the way that Caesar wants things to run, to direct people away from worshiping God to worship Caesar. That's what his official status would have been to do. And so they say, wow, you're not a Jew. In fact, you're a person who hates a Jew. And then we bring in even his second-class citizen. The servant of a centurion was a nobody. If you read back even into ancient philosophic texts like Plato's Ethics, we see that people who were servants were as useless in the eyes of people as animals, they said, You're pretty much as good for doing work, and that's it. There's one text uh, in, in ancient Greek philosophy which says that you should not care for your slave any more than your cow. And so Jesus comes and he meets with a leper who's unclean. He meets with a centurion and eventually heals this person who, in the eyes of the people around it day is worth no more than a cow. And then he goes from there and enters into a home and heals Peter's mother-in-law that doesn't seem all that strange to us. I mean, this is, Peter's one of his close friends and followers will become one of his core sort of three friends, one of the people who God uses to establish the church. And, and we think, well, that's not a big deal, but it, it might not be a big deal to us, but it was to them. She's a woman. And so in their mind, in their time, in this male-dominated culture, she is, again, a second-tier citizen. She's not smart enough. She's not strong enough. She's not capable enough to be with a rabbi, with an important religious figure. To that, Jesus says, are you kidding me? No, this woman who sits here in this house is just as valuable to me as any one of the men who I have come to bring this news to. And so Jesus comes and he shares a message about his kingdom by healing These three individuals. And that message is simply that all are of value in the kingdom of God. And in particular, who Jesus loves the most are the outsiders, the outcasts, the people who aren't the religious elite. We'll see this sentiment is later echoed by the Apostle Paul when he writes to the church in Galatia where he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus takes the hierarchy of the day and says, that's not how it's going to be in my spiritual kingdom the unclean people, the lepers, are going to be just of just as much value and cared for just as much as the pure people. Women are going to be just as important as men. Jews and Gentiles alike will all come into my family because I love them all. And so after Jesus comes down off the mountain, he does what no one would have expected. We would expect that a great teacher like him would have either hidden away over a feast with Pharisees and Sadducees, or he would have gone into the temple to talk about what he just taught with the people who know it the best. But instead, he comes, and instead of schmoozing with those who would have power and influence to one day overthrow the Roman government, Jesus tears down and overthrows a false religion so that all could experience God's kingdom coming. And this is good news for us. This is really, really good news for all of us. For starters, we have what Jesus did with the leper. This tells us something profound. In verse 1 to 3, we read this. Let's go back and see it. It says, When Jesus came from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. To which Jesus reached out and touched him and said, Yes, I am willing. Be clean. Again, according to the the Levitical law or the law that comes to us from the book of Leviticus and, and the laws that were made by the religious leaders around that law, you couldn't touch a leper because they could make you sick and they could make you unfit for worship. And so when Jesus reaches out and touches someone, he says something different, that all are fit to worship him, that anyone even if they're told by other people that they are unclean, can be made clean by him. The concern about touching a leper was that their disease would rub off on you. But instead of the leper's disease rubbing off on Jesus, Jesus rubs off on the leper. Jesus' cleanliness and wholeness and purity comes onto this person's life to change it forever because he was willing to touch them. One of the things I love about this passage, and we're going to see it as we go through all these healing accounts, is that Jesus always wants to prove that he is God and that he is judge and that he's the one who gets to rate God's people. We'll see this because what's going to happen is there's going to be different people who ask Jesus to heal people. There's going to be people like the leper who come to Jesus and they say, You are Lord. You are the master. You are the ruler. You are the king. And if you're willing, come heal me. But we're also going to see the contrast. We're going to see the Pharisees come up to Jesus and say, Hey, we want you to heal somebody, but we want you to heal them to prove who you are. We want you to heal people so we can determine whether or not you really are who you say you are. And to Jesus, that's laughable. He goes, You're not the judge. You're not the king. You're not the one who's in control. I am. And so we'll actually see that time and time again, Jesus will turn his back to those who think they're in control, to those who think they're judged, to those who think they're rulers, to those who think they can give spiritual definition, and he's going to turn towards those who feel outside and outcasts, who have no good grounds of being with him all to tell a message. I love everyone who needs me. I want to be with anyone who no one else wants to be with. The religious leaders of the day wouldn't even say hi to a leper, but here Jesus is reaching out and touching them. And that's good news for us because so many of us walk through life and we are told that we are no good, that you're worthless, that you're broken, that you're never going to measure up, that because you did this or that, no one should give you the time of day. And that goes from just being what people put on us to our own internal dialogue. We all come to places and spaces where we will say, how could someone love me? I'm never going to measure up. I'm not good enough. We might not be lepers, but we get this voice and this heart posture where we think we are. And the good news of Jesus is that he says, if you call on me, I will love you. I will be with you. I will forgive you. I'll make you whole. I'll make you clean. I will provide exactly what you need. For anyone who comes to this place broken, you have to know that Jesus loves you and wants to make you whole. For anyone who comes to this building, to this place, in front of people who are worshiping Jesus and says, hey, I don't know if I'm good enough to be on the inside. I don't know if this is the place for me. Jesus says, yes, you are welcome here and you are loved. He invites you to say, Lord, will you Make me whole. And when we do that, when we ask Jesus' forgiveness, when we ask for Jesus to restore our lives and make it worth something, he says, yes, I am willing. I will invite you in. The story of the leper is incredibly powerful news for all of us because it tells us that all who are outcasts and overlooked are welcome in the family of God. And then Jesus moves from that to tell a different story that expands our understanding of of who's in and who's out of the kingdom of God. We see that the centurion comes up to him and and, and comes and says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And so Jesus says, well, should I come and heal him? And the, the centurion says, no, you don't need to come because you have the authority and the power to make it happen. He says, I understand this. I'm a a Roman soldier, but I'm an upper tier one. So I know that when my bosses give me uh, direction, I'm going to do it. But I also know that when I give direction to those who are beneath me, they're going to do it. And so I know that you carry that type of authority in the area of healing and wholeness. And so he says, I don't need you to come. I just need you to heal if you're willing. And to that, Jesus turns to, to his followers and he says, look at this guy look at this guy this has this guy has more faith than anyone i've ever seen this is an incredible thing 30 something jesus who's grown up in jewish culture who's seen people who say they have extraordinary faith who live incredibly moral lives jesus says i've met all of them and none of them compare to this guy This guy understands something. He knows something. He is in on what it is to be a part of the kingdom of God. And then he goes from there and he says, so listen up. There's a warning that comes with this. While this guy's got it, a lot of you don't. He says there's going to be lots of people who think they're going to end up in the kingdom of God. They're going to come to the feast of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And here he's talking about Jewish culture and tradition where the Jews believe we are the ones. God told our ancestor Abraham that his descendants who would be with God would be as countless as the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. What they forgot to pay attention to is everything else that came around that. They lost sight of what that could mean. And so they thought, just because I'm the bloodline of Abraham, I'm in and other people are out. And here Jesus says, no, I don't deal with inherited faith. Cultural faith doesn't cut it. It doesn't matter if your family's the right type of family. It doesn't matter if people before you believed. What really matters is do you have a relationship? Do you recognize the authority and power of who I am? That is the only way that you will come in. This is something we need to take very, very seriously. Cultural Christianity is something that is eating up our churches and our community. I hear people all the time, I remember before I moved to Abbotsford, people would be like, why do you want to go there? That's just the Bible Belt of BC. That's where all the Christians are. And you know what? There's lots of great churches, there's lots of good godly people, but there's also a whole lot of horrendously misguided people who think that because I live in Abbotsford, because I'm as Mennonite as Rempel Sausage, because I go to church, because I serve the church, I am suddenly one of God's people. And God says, what are you talking about? That's not at all what it's about. It doesn't matter if you're a good Baptist or a good Mennonite in name. It doesn't matter if you even show up to church every Sunday and, and serve. That's not the heart of it. That's not the truth of my kingdom. Those are great things, but they are not what it takes to be in my family. The thing that brings you into my family, the thing that brings you healing for the whole of your life, the thing that will guide you and give you purpose is the relationship that you have with me. And that relationship looks like you and I together, but you recognizing also that I am the king, that I am the authority, that I have the power. This is something that greatly concerns me because there will be people who will come in the doors of this church and think, man, I've got it because I'm here. You won't. You've got to hear this now. Every single one of us is a sinner and the only way that we get saved is by grace through faith in Jesus for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, means we've all missed the mark. And because of that, there's a cost and there's a payment that needs to be paid. And the only one who could pay it is Jesus. And he's done it and he's gone before us. But in order to inherit the gift from him, we need to be with him and receive it from him. You can't get that From coming to church, you can't get that. By serving on a team, you can't get that. By going to community group, you can't get that. By giving, you can't get that. Even by talking aloud to God and calling it prayer. The only way you can do it is by coming to Jesus and saying, you are the Lord. You have the power. You have the authority. Won't you take me in? And this is something that shouldn't just shake us up about this church, but it should shake us up about this community. We've got to go around and know that so many people are lost, horrendously misguided. I would actually rather be in a wildly secular society that has no taste for Christianity because at least then they wouldn't be misguided and have this extra barrier which has allowed them to think that something stands in their way or that nothing stands in their way, because that is the something that stands in their way. I would challenge us, church, to never let go of this. It's not that we go to judge the people and go, okay, let me me check the boxes. Okay, you say you're a Christian, you know, let's check you in. That's not what we're here to do, but we are here to come and proclaim the truth of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, and help people to know and understand the truth of what brings them into the kingdom. There's going to be a lot of legalistic people who have gone to church their whole life or who have been, you know, I'm part of a Christian family. My parents go to church. They believe. So I'm good. There's going to be a lot of people like that who need to hear the good news. The reality is that's what we're here to do. We see as a church that we exist to lead people to be passionate followers of Jesus because we want that passion that comes from relationship. We want to see people genuinely in partnership with him living out their lives. I strongly believe that this is one of the things that our church is well positioned to do. I think there's a lot of de churched people or misguided people who have adopted cultural Christianity in our community who need the people of this place to go out and share what truly will transform their lives, what will bring them flourishing in the name of Jesus. So, church, will we stand up? Will we do that? Will we follow the example and guidance of our King and go? and lead people to be passionate followers of Jesus. I trust that as we go, we will see God work, because we see him do it time and time again. We see even right after he heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law, that many people who would come... And submit to him will be saved. It says that there's people who come and they're demon possessed. There's other people who have ailments and sicknesses who Jesus comes and provides for. Church, Jesus can come and bring healing of any sort to our place, to our people, to our community, because ultimately they aren't ours, they're his. My hope is this starts to get us excited as we continue to explore these next few chapters. And I'd encourage you, read ahead in your Bible over the next number of weeks to to see what's coming. Get excited about what God can do. I believe that if we step in and like Jesus with a word, and that word is his name, we will see people healed. We will see lives changed. We will see the kingdom of darkness destroyed as God establishes his glory and his presence here in this place, in our community, and around the world for his namesake. That sound good? Can we commit to that? I hope we can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, God. I thank you for the challenge of it, God, because it, it causes us to examine our, our own hearts, God. Sometimes we don't allow your authority in because we say, I am not this where I am that. And God, you want to come and redefine the labels. You want to come and break down the stereotypes. You want to come and welcome your people. And God, would we receive that? Lord, it would challenge our hearts that if we are in this place where we we think we just are a Christian because, Lord, would we examine whether or not it's because we truly have a relationship with you? And Lord, if we have a relationship with you, Lord, would we be able to celebrate? Would we be able to to, to go out and and scream from the rooftops to to, to dance and, 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 and be happy and praise you because of what you have done? But Lord, if it's anything else, Lord, would you bring us to a place where we are broken and repentant, where we focus on the only thing that can ever bring us into relationship with you? And would we receive that? And God, will we be a people who are committed to see, like, seeing the hope and the healing of your world because you invite us in to do that very thing. God, we thank you that we have so much to, to, to set our lives to, to, to be focused on, to celebrate because of who you are and what you have accomplished. We thank you for this all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now before we go out in this sense of expectation and with a hope and a mission, I want us to focus once more on what is most important by taking part in communion together. And so hopefully you received the elements as you came in, but we're going to take these elements together as a church. And if you don't have them, feel free to put up your hand and Shelly will bring them over to you. But, but these, these elements represent... What Jesus accomplished for us. And we see that at the Last Supper, where Jesus sat down with his disciples before he went with the cross, he wanted to teach them about who he is and what it would actually be that brings them in to the kingdom of God his sacrifice, his body broken, his blood poured out. And so we're going to take these elements together and I'm just going to read through what happens. In Matthew, where Jesus sat down at the table with his disciples, and as we get to each part, I encourage you to take the element and reflect on what that means for you today. And then we'll turn to God and sing once more. So let's take the, the elements, and we read that at the Last Supper, while Jesus ate with his disciples, he took the bread, and he gave thanks for it, and he broke it. And then he gave it to each of his disciples and says, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. It says afterward that he took a cup and he gave thanks once more and he gave it to them. He said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And I will not drink of it again because I will drink of it once more anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice. Jesus, we thank you that you came to shed your blood to have your body broken so that ours and our spirit would not be. Lord God, we thank you that this sacrifice has the power to change us radically. And God, would it now renew in us something, a fire, a passion to see more of your kingdom come, more of your will be done, all stemming out from that moment on the cross. And Lord God, would we see it all happen on earth as it is in heaven we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus by the power of your spirit for your namesake father amen
1: I'd invite you to stand with us Our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name come and let your glory come and let your glory fall our father who art in heaven the rocks cry out your fame come and let your glory come and let your glory fall I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song to the Lord. Let your kingdom come. Yeah. you uh-huh.
0: kingdom to be built here. We pray for your name to be declared, God. We pray that you would receive all the glory through this church for your namesake forever. Amen. Church, go and be a blessing to our community. Build his kingdom here, I pray. Go with God. Have a great week.